0: Would you please uh, stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Okay, you can be seated. If you've been here two weeks in a row, You might be wondering, wait a second, we did that text last week. Yes, we did. Um, There have actually been a number of times where after preaching a text, not the sermon, but the text, I walk away or someone on our worship arts teams walks away and says to us, I think we need to preach that one again. I remember the first time it happened, we were in 2 Corinthians. We were dealing with a text on forgiveness and we ended up spending, I think, three weeks on that. So we have been surprised after the fact and thought we really need to spend more time on that text. We believe the Holy Spirit wants us to spend more time leaning into that text and looking at that text and uh, allowing that text um, by submitting to it to begin to shape our minds, begin to shape who we are. Um, And then there are those texts that we can actually predict that text we need to preach twice. This is one of those. This is one of those texts that we knew when we were planning Matthew's gospel that after we're done preaching Matthew 16, 13 through 28, you know what we should preach? Matthew 16, 13 through 28. We walked through it last week looking at the the text and trying to dissect it and understand, looking at the key ideas and the key words. And this this week, what we would really like to do is for us to come alongside of this text And as Drew set us up for in his uh, prelude this morning, what he helped us see is that there are ideas about life, ultimately about God, that matter so much that we need to spend more time looking at them and dissecting them, that we can't just take a passing glance. If anything, that might actually hurt us because they can appear first glance. How do those things fit together? I will build my church. And by the way, here's what you need to do. I thought you were building it, Jesus. Why am I the one with the hammer? I thought you were building. This is one of those texts. When you look back, though, at life, here's what I would challenge you on, is that things of great substance, of worth, of spending your life on or sacrificing your life to, all of those great truths have these two traits within them. One of them is that they're they're almost always simple ideas. They're simple. And then you spend more time with them and they get deeper and deeper and deeper as you go. Simple and deep. Simple and deep. Th- to give you an example of this, you- you've-, you've heard someone say this, right? Someone has said to you or you've said someone to-, someone- to someone else, What all you need to do is just try your best. That's all you need to do is just try your best. I used to make fun of that. I used to go, well, actually, that's not all you need to do. But then I began to stop. Okay, whoa, 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 wait. don't don't be that guy. Actually, I, I know what they're saying. I've said it. I've looked at my kids. I've, I've looked at students that I was teaching, and I said, listen, all, all God wants from you, all, all you should do is just, you need to do your best. You, you understand? You can translate that. We don't need to muddy the waters. You know what they're saying. It is, it is good for us to try our best. The, the problem is, is that, This is how our hearts work. We want to manipulate it. I did try my best, and my best is a C. I swear to you I tried my best. No, you did not. Remember, Moms and dads, you been in that situation? Teachers, have you been in that situation? I don't want to hear you tried your best. You did not. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. Oh, this is productive. But you know, there is something profound about that. All you really need to do is try your best. Yeah. That that actually is rather profound. But there is something even more profound in kind of digging through that and asking some very introspective questions, like, did you really try your best? I I love to say to my students when they would get a bad grade, well, at least you tried your best, you're just not very bright. (laughs) I did not try my best, right? Right? I love, just let's, let's just think about this, about why your best matters, what your best would look like. How do we know what our best really is? Simple, and yet deep. How about this one? You can do anything you can put your mind to, as we talked last week. It's just hard to watch the Olympics and believe that as well. I can do anything I can put my mind to. No, that Usain Bolt thing, that just seems special but you know what you know you know what we mean by that like you really can i mean it is amazing the ability that we have as image bearers of god like it's it really is quite astounding the things that we can do when we put when we do our best <laughs> it really is it's 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 amazing and it is profound so when we say that listen we don't mean that we can be as smart as albert einstein or as fast as usain bolt but that's really not what my mom meant or what my teacher, what they, what they were trying to tell me was, was that I have a lot of abilities. I have a lot of, my mom would say, I have a lot of God-given abilities and she just didn't want to see them go to, you knew what she meant, right? Simple. And then I get to spend my life trying to dig through that and, and ask questions like, what do I really want? Like, what do I want to really put my mind to? What do I want to really put my efforts to? What do I really want to? That is a great idea. One last example. Have you heard this? There were some, some very intelligent gentlemen that wrote this a number of years ago. Uh, we've taken a look at all the things around us, and we have now determined that these things are self evident, that the Creator has endowed humanity with inalienable rights, of which are life. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Kind of simple, isn't it? Really? Life? Yeah, okay. Freedom? Okay. The pursuit of happiness? Sure. You know they argued about that pursuit of happiness piece, though, right? It was actually originally the right to own private property. And then there was this, this, this guy that came along in the 1960s and, and dared to stand on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and he said, I'm here today to cash a check that was written a long time ago. There were some, some men, many, many, okay, this is not how we really preach. He's better than me. But um, there were some guys a long time ago that wrote this idea that there were certain things that are self-evident, and I'm here to cash that check. That's really what Martin Luther King Jr.'s sermon, I Have a Dream, was all about. Obviously, it wasn't as self-evident, <laughs> right? It really wasn't. Like, it seemed to think it was self-evident, well, you know, unless you were a slave or, you know, a woman. Like, it seemed to be self-evident. I mean, even today, it's not like we figured it out. Oh, yeah, well, okay, when, when we say life, we mean lives, and by those lives, we actually don't mean these lives. These lives really aren't lives. When does life really begin? And, 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 and all of a sudden, this really simple thing, in order for it to have profound substance, must endure... <laughs> the conversation, and and things just get deep. And I just have to wonder, like, why is it that when it comes to our faith, do do we spend as much time genuinely reflecting on the things of God? I like Drew's picture, literally. I love Drew's picture that instead of these being two opposite portraits, what if just the panoramic picture that God paints of life in his world It's just far more deep and rich that you and I understand. See, that's what's going on in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, we see a very profound, simple, and deep truth. Here's the simple part. The simple part is this, that God has done everything for us, and that there is absolutely nothing that we can do. Here is the deep truth. Because God has done absolutely everything for us, and there is nothing that we can do, we will, in response, do everything for Him. And that's what the Bible teaches. And and Christian people mess that up time and time and time again. This is why we need to spend two, three, four, we're going to only spend two, but we could spend two, three, four, five, six weeks looking at what this text is really saying because everyone in this room, I would guess, has heard these two statements that God's gift of salvation, that God's peace, that the, the promise of heaven is a free gift and there's nothing you can do to earn it. Have you heard that? And yet you've probably heard the back half of the text that Zane read for us this morning, which had this statement, and it will cost you everything. Now, usually what preachers like to do is, okay, well, what Jesus meant was not the words he said. He didn't mean that. <laughs> what he meant by it'll cost you everything is meant it'll cost you nothing. Actually, I think he would have said nothing if he meant nothing. No, he said everything. He said that it was going to cost us everything. And so that's what we get to look at. So what does God mean? What does Jesus mean when he says these things? Well, the first thing I want us to unpack today is this. What God has done with no cost to us. I want to just spend a few moments thinking about what God has done with absolutely, unequivocally, no cost to us. How... How would you make God love you? Let's start there. You've probably heard that God loves you. How do you make God love you? Now, one thing I have spent a lot of my time, my parents said way too much time when I was younger, trying to do is to make people like me. I was one of those guys. One of those guys in the class, class clown, um, probably compensating for some kind of deficiency inside of my own personality, I'm sure. But there I am trying to be liked, wanting to be laughed at, wanting to be laughed with. I, I remember especially the girls wanting to get their attention and to be liked. And I remember that girl. I remember trying to to plan and to work when Andrea first caught my attention. How do I make her like me? And that was rather easy because she already did. Then the next question How do I make her like me for a really long time? That didn't work. Dump me twice, but that's a whole other message. She hates it when I bring that up, which I like to remind her, then you should have never dumped me twice. (laughs) How do you make someone love you? Well, you try to be winsome. You give them things. You compliment them. Like there are some of us that are really good at this. We just intuitively or naturally know how to be winsome, endearing, likable. Others, not so much. We're always working. We're always playing some kind of game and wanting to be liked or wanting to be appreciated, or wanting some kind of word of affirmation. And yet and, and I want you to think about this. Like, what? What could you do to make God like you more than He already does love you, more than he already does? And I think we know this. The answer is nothing. Like He cannot be manipulated. He cannot be controlled. He cannot be pleased by me being cute. He, he, can't be, he can't be somehow just um, controlled or manipulated by, by me gaining his favor or doing something so that he would then like me, which actually that happens with each other. It just never happens with him. God's love for us, God's like for us is actually found within himself. And it cannot be manipulated or controlled. God's love for you caused, cost you nothing and it continues and continues and continues how can i make how can i make god adopt this plan that i have for saving me the bible teaches that we have rebelled against god okay so how do we get god to come up with or to agree with this plan in which we will find peace with him and the answer is what we can't There's no way that we can somehow outsmart him or trick him. He's not some pretend God from another planet. That in the end, he knows all and he sees all. And in fact, what I love what the Bible says, and this is the major difference between Christianity and every other world religion, that instead of it being some kind of attempt to please him, God says, I already have this all figured out. I already know, if you look on this board, creation, Genesis 1 and 2, fall, Genesis 3, redemption, what is it? You can't read it. You know what it says? Genesis 3. Not Matthew 1. That doesn't start in the New Testament. Genesis 3, we fall. Genesis 3, God reveals to us that he already had a plan before Genesis 1. Isn't that amazing? At no cost to you. You didn't have to figure this out. You couldn't have figured this out. And even if you could figure it out, you couldn't manipulate him and get him to buy the plan that you came up with. There's no way. There's no way that we can somehow make God buy this plan. And the amazing plan of Jesus dying on the cross, how can we make God, think of it, what can we do to somehow get God, okay, okay, Get God to accept that death as my payment for my sin. What can we do? Are you beginning to feel just how hopeless this is? I can't. Like, there's no way that I can twist God's arm and say, please accept Jesus' sacrifice for me. Please accept what Jesus Christ did as, like, as somehow payment for all the things I didn't do. Think how crazy that is. God accepts Christ's perfect life life in place of your messed up one. How about this? All of our, no, okay. for all of human history, all of ours, Jesus Christ replaces that. How do we get God to do that? Does anybody just kind of feel like, wow, there really is? When Jim says there's nothing we can do, I think he means there is nothing we can do. I mean, how do we, even just back to our own life, that breath, I'm completely at his mercy. So when we say God's love, God's plan, God's salvation, God's hope, all of these things, there is nothing you can do to earn this. Wow, that is actually a very simple way of describing a profound truth. Peter said it this way, you are the Messiah. You are the, literally the word means anointed one of, you're the anointed one of God, not me. You're the anointed one of God. You're the son of God. That's, that's what this is all about. It's you, Jesus. It's you. Jesus says it this way, describing himself. He says in our text for today, he, speaking of himself, must go to Jerusalem and die. He's not saying, hey, you know, this is something that you guys have convinced God to do and now I gotta do it. Boy. Now, all of this was set in motion. All of this was set in in God's heart, and in God's mind, and in God's will, and it's all happening, and, and literally, we are only invited guests to the amazing work of God, and that is why I sing, and that is why I live my life in response, as we heard over and over and over again from Drew, and from, um, from Kaylee, this is, this, this is what we do, this is what we do as a response to what God has already done for us, do you see how critical that is? And how important that is. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 3. We usually know verse 23, Romans three twenty-three: For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what verse 24 says though? And are justified. The word literally means declared innocent. That we stand before God and he looks at me. This is one of the reasons why I have no fear of the final judgment. Because I have already been declared innocent of all of the, Listen, I know I did them. Yeah, I did them. I did all of those things. Actually, I, I, I haven't even done things that I'm already forgiven for. Think about that. By the way, does that mean I can go do whatever I want? No, 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 no. We'll, we'll catch that in the second part of this message. But you do, you do realize that everything I've done and everything that I will do has been taken care of on the cross. That's what God is saying So I have fallen short of God's glorious standard, verse 24, and am justified by his grace as a gift that I accept through the redemption that is in the Messiah, Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Now I'm going to keep explaining this word because it's a word we don't use a lot. A propitiation is a gift that appeases the anger of 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 a of a person of great power. In this case, a God. That you and I lived our lives, it might be hard to admit, but we've lived our lives in rebellion against him, and we have rightfully stored up anger in him against us. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent Jesus to die in our place for our sins. And so, Jesus' death appeases the anger of God. This is so critical that we understand God doesn't look at our sin and go, that was nothing. Oh, boys will be boys, girls, it's college. Who doesn't do that at college? No, that's actually the problem. Everyone does that at college. That's the problem. And actually, we learn to do that in, we learned to do that way younger than we should have learned to do that. And this is what Paul says. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So how do I do this? How do I connect to this amazing gift that cost me nothing? Answer? by faith. I just believe it. I I, I look at what God has done, I hear the gospel, I hear what God has done, and I believe it. By the way, uh, some other words that could actually mean that, it's not just I think it, it's not just I know it, it's I trust it. I respond to it. I I respond to it with my thinking, I respond to it with my emotions, I respond to it with all of me. I don't parcel me up in different ways. I can't do that with my wife. I can't do that with my kids. I can't do that with my friends. And I cannot do that with the living God. I don't cut me up into different pieces and this is what I think and this is what I feel. No, 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 no. I respond by faith. I trust in the gospel, which is that Jesus died in my my place for my sins. And I now have peace with God. And I'm spending the rest of my life responding to that. I remember when my wife and I felt the conviction to leave our family, to leave our jobs, to leave everything, and to travel down to the wonderful vacation spot known as Joplin, Missouri, so that we could live in a mobile home and attend a private Christian college. And I, I told a number of people this story, family, here's what I believe God wants us to do. And a number of them went. Oh yeah, I can see that. I can see that God would ask you to do that, and I can see that you guys should do that. And, and we did. We actually had some family that said, "That's dumb. Why would you move to Joplin? Why, why, why would you? Why would you give up what you have here? Why would you leave family? Why would you?" And they had a list of things. I had one particular brother-in-law who came to me and said, "I know what you're doing, man. What am I doing? I'd like to know. Well, here's what you're doing." You feel like you have to do this in order to please God. You feel like if you don't do this, God's going to. And I looked at him and I realized in that moment, yeah, since you don't know Jesus, I don't think you can get this. Like, I'm not doing this to win him. He's already won me. I'm not doing this to earn his love. I'm not doing this to get a. I'm not. I'm doing this because do you have any idea what he has done for me? Do you have any idea what he has done for us? Do you have any idea? I have nothing to give here. I am just merely responding. By the way, that's what we were doing when we were singing. That's what we were doing as we were reading scripture and our hearts were being somehow uh, connected to this text. As our minds, as our all of this is our response to what God has already done. And listen, hear me. It begins and it is caused at no cost to us whatsoever And then here's, I mean, actually, that's deep too. Just try to pretend. That's not the deep part. Here's the deep part. No, they're both crazy deep. It's just deep everywhere. If I were to write a song, I would talk about if, if, if God's grace was an ocean, we'd all be sinking. Okay. Um, and then have like a sloppy wet kiss in there, and it'd be awesome. Okay. Okay. Um, so we've talked about what God has done at no cost, and you need to hear that. That's what we mean by no cost. That's exactly what we mean. So when you wanna give me a speech but you don't know what I've done, I mean, I'll try to be kind and the little bad things you did. Okay, I'll listen. At the very end, I'm still gonna end up with the same statement. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Tell me, let me tell you what Jesus did. No, but I didn't tell you about second grade. So let me tell you what I did then. (laughs) Okay, second grade. Yeah, Jesus still died for you. It's one of my favorite things to do. I absolutely love looking at people who are just broken to the core. By the way, that's repentance. That's humility, which God says he will respond to. Repentance and humility. Arrogance, he just smacks on the nose. But repentance and humility... God lifts up the head. Fascinating. But I love looking at someone who thinks for some reason, something they've done or for some disqualifying, and I said, listen, since you can't do anything to earn this in the first place, truly none of this matters. We all approach Jesus equally dead in our sins and in need of life. Now here's the other response, which isn't go doesn't go against that. But as you look at the story, as you look at day two, day day one is all of what God did, okay, and day two is what all of God is now going to keep on doing. It's not God's turn, our turn. It's all God's turn, but now it is us responding to what Jesus Christ has already done for us. So we are gonna look at what God has done with great cost to us. Now, this is where it gets complicated because many of us have been told, you hey, all you gotta do is raise your hand, say a prayer, get wet. And Actually, if you don't wanna do any of those, you don't even have to do that. Now, there are preachers, and I think they are preaching heresy, that actually teach that to respond to Jesus requires no spiritual, I'm quoting a scholar, requires no commitment to Christ whatsoever to be saved. Now, listen, what scares me even more is I talk to people all the time, just regular joes, and I begin to ask them about life, and I begin to ask them about faith, and I begin to ask them about friends, and I hear this all the time. Oh, yeah, they're a Christian. They're just not following. You mean they're not a Christian? No, 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 they're totally saved. They're just not acting like it today or yesterday or ever. <laughs> but we had this great, like, 12 day thing at Falls Creek. We're good. We did this thing at Sayokomo, Youthquake 2012. Boom. Yeah, tell that to the one who made all things, who knows all things. I, I, I challenge people just try to find in the scripture, not a verse. Anybody can find a verse. Find to me, find for me somewhere where Jesus consistently preaches, oh, yeah, do whatever you want, I'm good. Actually, I, I kind of really like that. I'm really. I, actually, I died so that you could do whatever you want. Like, I love telling people, do whatever you want, I'm all for you, whatever you want. Like, just show me a consistent case where that's what the picture in the Bible is of following Jesus. No, that's what we do, and not just in America, but particularly in the West, Sadly, though, particularly in America, and then even more so in the Bible Belt, if I can just make a decision, if I can just kind of play this game, can't I just have my life back? Didn't I take care of my salvation? You so don't hear what Jesus says. Jesus makes it very clear. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, He meant, if, OK, I, okay, I know Greek, OK? Here let me translate it for you. If anyone would come after Jesus, he has to deny himself or herself, it's the equal opportunity. OK? on that one. They must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. Is that clearer in the Greek? Like that's what it is. Like there's no way around it. That's exactly what it is. And it comes as great cost to us, but never to get God to love us, never get God to like us, never somehow to make the the work of the cross to be the payment. We can't do any of that. But what we do is live in a response to what Jesus Christ has already done. That's why I don't ever want to spend my message going, okay, now here's how you guys need to try harder, and here's how you guys made mistakes this week, and you guys need to try harder, and I know you're looking at dirty things, and I know you're being bad people, and I know that you're selfish, and you got to stop being that way, and you got to stop doing those things. you got to try harder. Yeah, I've been trying harder and trying harder, and trying harder, and failing, and like, oh, I just, I almost want to quit. And then I remember the gospel. And the gospel isn't, look at what Jesus did, you should feel bad. No, the gospel is, this is what Jesus did. Is that not amazing grace? We should should live in light of that, we should live in response, my baptism was a response to what Jesus Christ did. I mean, what actually should happen on a daily basis is that everything I do is in response to what Jesus Christ has done. So when I look at someone I can't forgive, I remember what Jesus Christ did to forgive them, and I think I can forgive them now that I think what Jesus did. When I look at the circumstances of my daily life in those relationships that are right up close and personal and even rather distant, I am living in response to what Jesus Christ has done, and it is costing me everything. I'm constantly living my life in the shadow of the cross not to earn his love but in response to the great love that he has for me. And there really is a difference. It's why, this makes some people nervous, it's why when I meet people they're going, I don't want to do that. My new response is, okay. Like, I really wish. But it's not, yeah, well, you, should, you know what God's going to do. You know what I've actually found? is that the only hope for someone, I mean, you would say they're a believer who aren't acting like a believer. You know, the only hope that I know for them? It's not scolding them, it's not making them feel guilty. Here's this, what's cool. The only hope for them is Jesus. It's almost like I wanna say, okay, let me tell the story again because I don't think you heard it right the first time. You're a bad person. God loves, I mean, right, you go back to that. I'm, I'm just, I'm done. I and literally I'm done trying to make Christian people feel bad. The Holy Spirit, that's that's his job. It is my job to remind us over and over and over again, your job as parents, or your job even as friends, not to say, Well, I don't think, and you, don't, you know, let's 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 rethink what Jesus Christ has done and how do we respond? I love the word even naturally and normally. I, I mean, and that's why that's why sometimes I fail. It's why sometimes I need to go back to the gospel of what God did for me in Jesus Christ. I need to go back and revisit it. I need to go back and repent. I need to go back and and look at what Jesus Christ has done so I can understand my identity, but it will cost me everything the rest of my life. Because he changed my life. And I just want to ask you, is that what you... Is that what you did when you got saved? That you were just responding to what Jesus Christ has done? See, because when you are like the most e- the easiest thing, you know what it's like, OK, here's, here's what it's like. It's like finding something that is so valuable, you'd give anything to get it. It's like going and you find this field that has like this crazy amount of wealth in the field and you just, man, I'm, I'm gonna sell everything I get because if I can get that field, I'll get more than I have. By the way, that's Jesus' words, not mine. And that is what the Christian response. Paul says it this way, Philippians 2. In light of what Jesus Christ has done, I'm kind of picking them up mid-verse, verse 12 of chapter 2. Paul says, work out your salvation, not for, not work for your salvation, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He goes on in chapter three, I count everything, Paul says, as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. That's a cleaned up version of the word rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, I'm given up so that I can gain and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That is what he is preaching. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this or I'm already perfect, but I press on, making it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And that is the gospel. I press on to make him my own because he has made me his own. When we were in Israel not that long ago, we were at Caesarea Philippi where this conversation happened between Peter and Jesus. And I was talking to a really good friend of mine who wrestles with a lot of the whys of, why, 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 why is, man, I'm just having a hard time believing, why? Why? And something being at Caesarea Philippi reminded me of this profound statement. You know, it's really interesting that Jesus in this conversation with Peter doesn't say, why do you believe that I am the Christ? That's not what he says. He doesn't say, why do you believe? You know what he says? Who do you believe? See, that matters more. Who? And to be a Christian is to say, in light of all that God has done, which has cost me nothing, I am absolutely more willing and able to sacrifice and to serve in response to what God has done. I pray that you have found that treasure. I pray that you know that joy. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your kindness to us, your peace and your patience. And I pray, Father, that we truly would, as a body, respond to what you've done, that our worship would literally be this overflow. And so, God, I pray that for the hearts and the minds of everyone in this room, especially those who are just trapped and trying to gain your favor or gain your love, I pray that they would see the truth of what they cannot do because you have already done In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, don't go anywhere. Stay right there. I got a few more more minutes and I need to tell you some exciting news. I can never find you. There you are, you're still there. Zane and Beth, come up here, please. And Morgan, I saw you over there. Would you come up here, please? Okay. um, as you, for, for those, a lot of you probably don't know this, but um, a lot of you really need to uh, go back and to remember a conversation uh, that we had here a couple of years ago. Actually, um, a couple of years ago, Morgan had just recently joined us, and a young girl named Rebecca Moyer. Some of you guys remember Rebecca? Yeah, she was awesome. Yeah, she was with us for a long time until so she married a boy. And he took, us away, took her away from us, which we were really sad about, but now we're okay. Um, when you look at, I told her yesterday, I we're over it now. Um, but it's exciting to see what God is going to do. And we talked a lot about the value and the importance. Come up over here. Um, the value and the importance of how God is going to bring together a team of people who are going to do what we believe he's already called us to do, which is to disciple people. To help people recognize their current spiritual condition and, and, and become more like Jesus. And we do that from the itty-bitties all the way up to the oldest of old, okay? And so it's just constant process. And so when Rebecca came here, I looked at Rebecca, and um, I said, hey, I'm going to give you something that will never appear in a job description, but we have never had a, 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 a woman serving in this area in our youth ministry, and more than anything else, I want you to help this congregation recognize how important this position is. And she did that. Um, I had moms and dads just saying to me, listen, like now that Rebecca's gone, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Well, the answer is Morgan. Morgan. So we are genuinely excited, actually. Morgan, who has been serving in our children's ministry in our ele- with our elementary ages, um, has just a desire um, and a crazy number of gifts in a number of different areas. And the more that we have been praying for what God is leading us towards, the more that we realize the best one to do this is already here. And so Morgan is our new... Uh, Uh, elementary, not elementary, give me a second here, middle school, junior high, high school um, pastor, okay, so that's Morgan Weiss. (laughs) By the way, I just, I want to be clear on this, this isn't, like, I always hate these words, it's not a promotion, it's not, like, we're all serving Jesus, okay, so she's now hanging out with people who are older, so good luck with that. Anyway, um, we're excited about what she's doing. She's really, really excited about this opportunity, but then that leaves a gap. What are we going to do with our elementary age kids, particularly those that are just coming out of kindergarten and going all the way up to before they go into the middle, the middle school area? And therefore, I would like to introduce to you Zane Sutherland, And his wonderful wife, Beth, Zane is going to be our new elementary age children's pastor. So please welcome Zane and his wonderful wife, Beth. We really are excited and we have been looking at this for almost a year like just praying through, and what are we gonna do, and how is this going to work, and we really do see God's hand in all of this. Um, But I would love for you to not only pray for Zane and Beth, but the transition, because they have made commitments. Um, Beth is a teacher in the Neosho School District, which is just south of Joplin, and she works particularly with special needs kids, and it's just a real ministry to her, and so she needs to continue her commitment to that class through the end of the year. Um, Zane has some commitments as well to the church uh, at Central City, which is uh, in the Joplin area, as well as he's a soccer coach to the Web City soccer team. Yeah, exactly. Um, Go Brazil. Uh, No. Germany? No. It's not Canada. Um, Anyway, so Zane uh, actually has some commitments there as well. Zane will be coming and will be starting November 1st. Uh, right around that date. Um, until that time, like again, Morgan's going nowhere, so we're, we've got all of the bases covered. We have an incredible family ministry team, which also includes Allie and um, Janelle and Drew and Ryan, and so there's so many different pieces to this puzzle. But we are so excited for Zane and Beth coming. Last week, they announced it at their church that they were leaving. He said ah, They both said it was kind of rough, but I, I guess this is a lot more enjoyable, uh, which I totally understand, but I want you to recognize and to be praying for their transition for Central City Church, for um, the young little biddies in the Osho School District that, uh, that Beth has to say goodbye to eventually, and then for, uh, for Zane's work as well. Um, I want to pray right now for them. And again, we don't pray for ease of transition. We pray for faithfulness in everything. Amen? Amen? Faithfulness through it all. But this is all because of our commitment that we are not here to just teach your kids. But as a community of faith, what we are here to do is to respond to who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has called us to do. And therefore, um, this whole team and many more are here to come alongside and to help particularly you moms and dads. And by the way, college students, be willing to hear from um, Zane and Morgan and others saying, hey, we want to involve you in this ministry. We want to involve you in the discipling of these kids. But moms and dads, like they're here to serve you as they serve Jesus So let's pray. God, I thank you for Zane and for Beth. I just, I thank you for how all of this has worked and at times I've been frustrated, even concerned. And now, once again, you have proved me silly and you sovereign, and I thank you. Um, But God, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen between now and November 1st, and um, I just trust you with it all. So as we start here and um, as Zane and Beth begin to wrap some stuff out, as Morgan is now kind of jostling between two, Father may we just trust you in it all just knowing that there is a plan and a purpose to all of this and we trust you in that. We thank you for Zane and for Beth and for Morgan and for opportunities that we are going to have to not just do ministry but life in Christ's name and all God's people said we start-